0: Well, a happy Friday night, everyone, and welcome into another edition and the final edition of this season's The Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey, along with my good pal Joe Vitali, I'm Alex Ferrario, and that's right. It comes to an end as the season is complete. The off-season exit interviews have been wrapped up, and now we head into a very intriguing off-season, Joey V. How are you today, buddy?
1: Alex doing good, but yeah, it's hard to see the season end. I know for a lot of blues fans, but boy, at the same time, if there's one year that's to kind of get this thing done and out of the way, it'd be the craziness of this year with, you know, COVID and the injuries. And I know that this team, uh, as unfortunate as it was to get bounced for the second year in a row in the first round, they're definitely looking for a reset, a revamped group, hopefully uh, full of energy come next October, which I'm hearing around the mid October start for next season. So I know a little bit of a break will be good for these guys, but always sad to see it go. But, looking forward to a little time off now.
0: You know, the one thing that I think everyone can get on board with, Joe, and look, it's been, a, it, was a, it was a disappointing end and a frustrating season in general, and we'll talk all about that in the offseason and whatnot, but the one thing that I'm going to take away going into this offseason is the fact that we saw stand our fans back in the stands at the end of this season. I mean, 9,000 people inside Enterprise Center. You're so close to being back to full capacity. We've seen baseball go to full capacity. I'm just looking forward to an opportunity to have a normal season next year where you have all of the people back in the stands
1: absolutely i mean those last couple games at the enterprise center were they were special man and listen the games weren't very good you know there was a couple moments couple periods there where the blues were right there Um, did they give it the most exciting effort for these fans not really but i don't think these fans really even cared i mean there was one point i think in the game three alex we were losing three or maybe four to one late in the third and they were playing some songs and you had fans and kids and parents dancing and you know usually that was a situation where you start hearing the kind of the booze or the the passionate fans kind of reacting to their displeasure for how the game's going but it was actually quite the opposite i think fans were just excited to be a part of it again and to see people i know the players loved it and you know you look at all the games right now in the national hockey league You look at vegas you look at what's going on in carolina nashville i mean the fan support, uh, the outrage, the craziness, in the crowd. I mean, this is what we miss so much. And I know that whatever happens the rest of this season, I know come next October, if we keep going in a positive direction, I don't think there's gonna be one person that takes these fans and the environment, of these buildings for granted ever again.
0: You know, and and we'll get into more of this, but it's just off the top of my mind. The more frustrating part is what's going on up in Canada, Joe. I'm watching that Toronto Montreal game last night and it, it is just it should be illegal to what is happening to where there's nobody in the stands at that game. I mean, that is a game that should be as close to full capacity as possible
1: well and i think that the biggest issue for canada right now which is frustrating for the players but from what i understand and why that is i think there's a little bit lagging behind with the vaccine so that's yeah. that apparently is what's going on and i think that the government has kind of a different approach from what i've understood for some some of the players i've talked to the approach up there is more about case numbers and not necessarily about hospitalizations or deaths gotcha where so a lot there's a lot of breakouts for younger crowds up in canada so the case numbers really haven't dropped all that much and with the vaccines being a little bit slow in Canada, I think that's where you're seeing it. You know, listen, politics are certainly playing a role, too, but how frustrating is it for the Winnipeg Jets to yeah. sweep the Edmonton Oilers as great of the, as the series as that was? and But and to do it without the wideout in Winnipeg, I mean, I mean, again, it's it's so unfortunate and it's so sad, but uh, boy, I know we can get into this a little bit later, Alex, but are we looking at another Toronto choke job right now uh, Oh man! with what's going to happen with the Montreal Canadiens? Is it <laughs> is it time to hit the panic button for the Toronto fans?
0: Man, I can't wait to get into that conversation. And we're going to do that towards the bottom of the hour tonight, because I know a lot of people listening are going, Joe Ferrario, talk about the dang blues, because there are so many question marks going into this upcoming off season. And, and Joe, I guess let's just start with, with the end of the, of the season in general, with that loss of the Colorado. And I don't want to harp on this too much. You know, I don't want to beat a dead horse because we've talked at nauseum about that but at the end of the day for me I think there's no real way I can sit here and say that Colorado was the better team because we all can agree Colorado was the better team but I'm kind of on the side of Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube during their exit interviews a couple of days ago You, you also have to put kind of a little asterisk next to that because you don't know what they looked like with Oscar Sundquist in the lineup and David Perron in the lineup and Carl Gunnarsson in the lineup and A healthy Vladimir Tarasenko, so there's always a little caveat that goes into it with that matchup against Colorado.
1: Yeah, I actually think that this year, I don't actually think it's very painful at all. You know, I actually think that it's probably one of the least painful exits we've seen in a long time. Yeah. You know, I I look at I look at let's just take the the last you know five or six you know years. Let's just for example, I mean the bubble that that was disappointing because you pretty much had your Stanley Cup group from the year before and then you lose in the first round to the Vancouver Canucks, of course, right? And um, if you don't stop you know, you that go,
0: season, you're probably making a push in a normal season with the playoffs.
1: Exactly. Ex- exactly right. You know, I mean, you go back to 16 when they lose to the Sharks in the conference final. I mean, that was a great team, and you felt that that was a year that they could really make a splash. Yeah. Um, but go back to 99 when the present trophy winners. I mean, all signs are leaning positive, and then you get bounce. Those are the years where it takes months or maybe two months for these players and these fans and this whole community to really get past it and move on to next year. The people I've talked to, uh, Alex, the the diehard fans, the people that love this sport and love this team, they're already kind of moving on. I I actually think it wasn't a very painful year at all for for two reasons. Number one, you just looked at the injuries and how just beat up and banged up this group was all year long with COVID and then the long-term injuries of different players, top players. That's number one. But number two, I, I I just don't see this year being very painful and not and, and not being very hard to move on from because you're just looking at a Colorado team that is just that good. You know, we yeah. were we were so heavily outmatched. Even if we were so healthy, even if we had you know Barbashev throughout the month of March and April, he stayed good. If, if Sunquist never got injured, if, if Tarasenko wasn't um, a scratch before the playoffs because of his lower body injury. I mean, even with all those players, even if David Perron doesn't get diagnosed with COVID a couple of days before the series starts, we still have our hands full. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a team projected to win it all. I mean, you have a top line that is, is probably the scariest line in hockey you have depth that we saw there in game three that really can come alive. So you, you got to be scared of their depth. Grubauer is a Vezina finalist because he's got an under two goals against average all year long. He's been nothing but nails for Colorado. They have a young defensive core and Kale McCar, uh, Samuel Gerrard, Ryan Graves, who's a plus minus machine. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't even talk enough about Devon Taves who, who led the whole series pretty much in minutes for Colorado. So it's a team that is probably going to go to the, the the final. If if I had to guess, you know, we'll see how Vegas and Minnesota series kind of shapes up tonight. But if Minnesota ends up taking that series, I think it's tomorrow night. Actually, if Minnesota ends up taking that series, to me, it's pretty much a red carpet all the way to the final for Colorado. And I'm just looking at the top team in the East, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I just think Colorado's deeper, they're stronger, they're more physical, and they have a little bit better goaltending right now. So I think we're looking at the the potential Stanley Cup champion, in the Colorado Avalanche. So again, you, you can say what you want about the injuries. You can say what you want about the top line, not being very good for St. Louis or the goaltending being a little um, all over the place at times. But the fact of the matter is they were heavily outmatched. They they ended up just getting a matchup where they're playing the best team right now in the national hockey league. And that's just kind of how it got sorted out. So I think this is going to be a pretty easy, smooth transition for fans. It's not going to be smooth for Doug Armstrong. That that to me is the one person that's going to have a lot of work and a lot of headaches and a lot of, um, sleepless nights coming up in the near future, Alex, because a lot's going to be coming up around the corner.
0: Yeah, because I mean, let's, let's be honest with this, Joe. I mean, you're going into next season as Doug Armstrong and the blues and Craig Bruby, and you're going back into a central division that let, let's look at the other competition. You got the Colorado Avalanche that are probably a Stanley cup favorite this year, the Vegas golden Knights who are going to be a runner up Stanley cup favorite. You get the Minnesota wild who might upset Vegas. Winnipeg's already advanced to the next round and Nashville was an overtime game away from four, a game seven into the second round so uh, you have competition beyond competition oh and by the way it sounds like the arizona coyotes the team that gave you fits all season is probably going to shift to the central division so there's no more of the blues being the top dog in the central in my opinion Uh, there's going to be five or six teams that are all fighting for that top spot it's going to be very difficult to make the playoffs next year in a regular season as the blues when you're in the central division
1: well, yeah. And, you know, you and I were talking about with BK yesterday on your guys show, and, and this is the truth. You, you have to you know, forget, forget winning a cup at this point. You have to really look at how do we match up in our division? How are we going to stay competitive to get back to the playoffs every single year? Yeah. Or, you know, to quite simply put it, how are we even going to get back to the Stanley Cup final if we can't outmatch or even come close to what Colorado is and how they're built right now? I mean, look at that Colorado team. You know, like we were talking about yesterday, Alex, aside from uh, Gabriel Landeskog, who's going to be a UFA this summer, which I believe they're going to get that deal done and sorted out because he's their captain. You know, this is going to be a very, very good Colorado team, potentially a dynasty if they can really get their, get their stuff together, they could win one this year. I think you're looking at a team that could potentially win, you know, two to three cups in the next probably 10 to 12 years. I mean, I think they're that good. They remind you a lot of those Chicago teams, those Pittsburgh teams where the core is just so established, but they have a, the, a group of um, depth guys that just are right there along with it. The goaltending seems to be not an issue. They love Peter Bender over there. I should be Jared Bender there in Colorado. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think for Doug, it's really going to come down to, to, to start things off here. How are we going to compete in this, this division come next season? This year has been kind of a weird year, right? Where you just, you're, you're battling with teams. You're not necessarily going to be facing all that much in the near future with Seattle coming into the league next year, Arizona ships over to the central, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have your hands full getting through Minnesota, Colorado, arizona nashville i mean again you mentioned it, they're a bounce away from forcing a game seven so they seem like they're starting to catch on pretty good i think dallas this year was a fluke i think they're too good of a team yeah. to not make the playoffs the way they did this year i think remember they, they ran into a bunch of COVID issues earlier in the yeah, season Yeah, they were
0: without it, tyler sagan and ben bishop pretty much all year bingo. I mean, Radulov got
1: hurt a lot throughout the stretch as well. So they didn't have the goaltending and they still were right there. They were there to the final week where they almost actually squeezed in and and took over Nashville's spot in that four hole. So I think Nashville, I mean, Dallas is going to be super competitive. I think without question, we are looking at probably right now, projecting the toughest division in hockey next year. So, um, it makes you a little bit nervous. Absolutely. So uh, again, it really comes through Doug Armstrong and this coaching staff and And the management group to kind of sit down and really put some pieces together and figure out what this team is going to be moving forward. What's the identity? What kind of characteristics are we going to be looking for? You know, I know a lot was said, uh, at least the questions were asked to Doug Armstrong the other day about this coaching staff. You know, when the Blues won the cup, it didn't seem like a big issue that we had a very young coaching staff. Now a lot of questions are starting to get around. Is this the right assisting group for craig berube i mean they are very young is doug armstrong going to maybe look to bring another veteran like he did with jim montgomery you know jim montgomery find somewhere else to go you know he really wasn't uh, sorted through that kind of lineup where he was on the bench day in and day out he was a great participant in practice but you know i think a lot of changes will be coming alex Uh, where do you start where do you begin it's hard to say what doug's going to be doing but I just know, again, he's got his hands full moving forward.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about that moving forward because uh, I do think it's pretty interesting, a couple of the comments from Doug Armstrong. So we'll get into that as it's the Boardwalk Hardwood floors this week in hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario will come back and talk about this upcoming really interesting offseason for Doug Armstrong and the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're back in here on a Friday night for the final edition this season of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey, along with Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario. Joe, can you, can you believe that we have been going nonstop with This Week in Hockey since last season at the beginning of it? So since the nineteen twenty season at the beginning of that year, we've been going nonstop with This Week in Hockey.
1: Alex, I do know that, and <laughs> I have pulled my hair out so many weeks throughout this. When, when the games were on, the pl- I mean, there's there's nothing cooler to talk about in the sport of hockey when I was going. We had some stretches there, brother. Yes. We had some stretches <laughs> when the season was postponed. I mean, I'm thinking, really, this time last year. I mean, this time last year, I'm sitting around thinking, what the heck is going on? We're, we were we were f- Fishing for things to yeah. talk about to keep this thing going. We 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 knew how much the fans still wanted a distraction yeah. from the, the craziness of this COVID. We 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 put our hearts on the line. we, we put our emotions out there. We really tried to serve some sort of energy for everyone out there who wanted some hockey. We had Chris Kerber sub in, we had play Gloria to kind of relive some wonderful moments from the 19 run. And then, you know, then the bubble happens, which was as crazy as it could be. We're sitting <laughs> in 17, calling a game an empty building on TV. And then the a comes, night and, Oh my God. <laughs> and then it's more unknown. It's more unknowns come fall. We're going to have a season next year. Apparently this COVID thing's not going away, but uh, I tell you what, I'm, as great as it's been, I am looking forward to getting a reset. I know you are as well, and I'm looking forward to to the fall when we do these again. And there's fans in the building, yeah. and there's energy, and and you're going to have your pretty face down at the Enterprise Center. A lot of fans out there don't know you were doing everything remote because of COVID. So looking forward just to just creating what we were doing before all this kind of mess. But um, you know what, buddy, we hung in very nicely, and it's been. It's been fun. It's been a little exhausting some of those weeks. We had to really dig to the bottom of the barrel to find some guests guests to keep it interesting, but at the same time, uh, it was definitely a great learning experience. It,
0: it was. It was so much fun, and to be able to just continue to talk hockey where, yeah, it's stressful sometimes, but, man, we found a way to get through it, but a normal – I think that's the part that I'm looking forward to, a normal off season, to where you can just sit, refresh, watch the off season, talk about it, and then go full gear come October. And I don't know if it's going to be back to normal in the sense of us being able to be in the locker room Joe but I really hope it is because I did miss that element this year of walking in and you complimenting Oscar Sundquist's beautiful smile or somebody giving you trouble about the the pants that you decide to wear to a hockey game practice yep. I'm going to mi- I miss those moments so I want those back next season
1: Well, the players miss it too. We've talked to plenty of them where they're like, you know, I miss seeing you guys around. They miss our energy as much as we miss their energy and, and just being a part of it. I think, I think a lot of people just felt so disconnected. You know, I know the fans felt disconnected. Uh, listen, we, we felt disconnected as well. We haven't seen these players in a long time. We've, talk to him every now and then on zoom, but just, but everyone feeling a part of this, this wonderful sport that it is, is something that's definitely going to be um, treasured. Uh, but not to mention, I think the fans also need to get a little perspective too on the players. You yeah. Know, Alex, because you, you brought up a good point about how we have not stopped these, these players have not stopped. I mean, I think that you're looking at, you know, a regroup to next year, you know, was, was Robert Thomas a little bit of a setback this year, maybe a little bit. Uh, where people a little like concerned about Tory Crew coming? You know what's that going to look like? Uh, where you know you're looking at players like Vladimir Tarasenko missed two years, and is he going to have a bounce back year next year? A lot of players, Colton Prakko, another one with his back. A lot of players, they have not really had a reset. A, I'm talking about a, a solid mental and psychological reset since the summer um, before the year they won the cup. Wow. I mean, it is crazy as crazy as that sounds that, that is it because they won the, they win the cup in 2019. It was two months of partying. They come right into next season. They're playing great hockey, but the, everyone that year, I remember on the planes, like, God, we just, we still haven't got caught up on rest yeah. from, you know, the cup.
0: Yeah, we're exhausted. Then they play
1: all that year. Oh yeah. They play all that year. Then the pause, and then you, oh, well, there's, there's a reset there before Edmonton. Absolutely not. As crazy as it was for all you people out there, it was, it was equally as nerve-wracking for them and, and stressful for them. The bubble happens. It's a miss. Then the COVID again in, in, in the fall. You don't know if the next season's going to start. Do we work out? Do we not work out? Almost like a lockout. We're like, yeah, you're off the ice, but you can't mentally get an escape. But now all these players, they know the year's over. They're looking forward to a mid-October start. It does look like it will get there. It does look like it will get there with fans right now, knock on wood. And now they can actually start to travel. And I'm seeing them on some of their Instagram pages. Uh, players are traveling to, you know, Bahamas, or they're getting away up north. They're going to their lake houses. You can see that they're finally getting a little break, and this break is going to do a wonders for the St. Louis Blues team that for about two and a half years here now have just been nothing but nonstop hockey on their mind. So I think this reset is exactly what the doctor's going to order for this team come next fall. Man,
0: that's crazy to think about. I mean, you're going on basically two years of no norm normality with your off season because this off season, I mean, look, I I know people will say, well, they were done in August and they didn't start again until January, but, that's hard for a group of players who are all about repetition and doing the same thing over and over. That's hard for a group of players, Joe, to go into an off season that began in August and not sit there and be like, oh, well, I'm starting up in October. So, like, the jitters get in, right, where you're sitting there like, oh, well, we're going to be starting soon. But then it was November. Then it was December. Then it was January. So there was no, like, oh, let's go on vacation and enjoy ourselves because let's also remember that that off season in August was – technically the beginning of school so a lot of the a lot of the players kids who go to school here in st louis they can't get away because obviously it's the start of the school year so this is honestly the first time like you mentioned man that is just insane to think about that they're going to have a normal off season from the beginning of the of the end of the year until the start of training camp comes september
1: yeah and, and they need it I'm telling you right now, it's a weird job because it's a seasonal job. It's, it's just like a teacher, right? It's just yeah. like a teacher where you go from August to April, August to May, if you're lucky. But I'm telling you, people say, oh, but then you have four or five months off. The, the amount of stress that a hockey player goes through in a full season, a full year, a, a, a calendar year is the same as another person's job, but maybe it's the other person's job as a yearly job, but it's, it's more consistent stress where those four or five months off these players have, that that really kind of brings the the level of, of stress back up to normal because, yes, they have four or five months off, but that is a decompressed time. It is necessary because I'm telling you the psychological stress these players go through from, from August to April, it's a real thing. Yes, it's, you're playing hockey, and it's, it's a wonderful game and you're playing the best league in the world. And don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That those are great. But at the same time you're playing on TV, you're playing it from a crowd. You got 18 coaches that are watching every mistake you're making. You know, there are players in the minors just chomping at the bit to take your job. You're getting in at two in the morning from these road trips. You're exhausted from just battling the night before you're not sleeping. Right? I mean, all these things start to catch up with you. And it's, it's a very, very stressful lifestyle. These players with kids, you go home, you're not You're not there. You're there, but you're not there. Mm-hmm. I mean, these players, it is so stressful to make sure you're playing well, to stay in the lineup, and to perform well for the next contract, to set up your family. It's, it's a very emotional thing for a lot of these players where they do need that three, four-month reset every year to fully regroup, get their bodies ready for this next next coming October. And this is something they just have not had. For the last two weeks is this is this a reason why we saw so many injuries I'll tie it into the Blues is this a re- reason why we saw so many injuries to the Blues this year without question I, I think without question you have to say that one of the culprits to that is the Blues really have just been go 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 going without having that complete reset for the last couple seasons throw that into the mix of the travel that they had to endure going out to the West and get home so late I think you put all that together it, it was a disaster waiting to happen from the injury standpoint Uh, I'm actually surprised I didn't catch up on a little bit quicker. I I should have guessed this to start this year, but – they were tired they were worn out and when you're tired and worn out that's when injuries start to creep in
0: yeah i'm with you on that one he's joe vitale i'm alex ferrario again we got sidetracked but we're going to get into the offseason that doug armstrong and craig berube have upcoming a big one without question here on the boardwalk hardwood floors this week in hockey presented by boardwalk hardwood floors we got joe vitale alex ferrario and we're back next here on 101 ESPN, we're back here on the boardwalk hardwood floors this week in hockey along with joe Vitali. i'm alex ferrario i promise we're getting into the offseason stuff right now just got sidetracked there just some incredible topics though to get into that none of us either thought of throughout the regular season and in our next segment we're going to talk about the postseason teams going on right now and some really intriguing offseason situations for some of those guys but Joe let's start with Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube at the end of the first segment you talked a little bit about kind of the coaching staff and the management group and just looking at this offseason you know for me that's where I start with this offseason is it the same core of guys that comes back and I know it's pure speculation right now but I've seen in Elliott Friedman's articles that you know the Arizona Coyotes have been interested in talking to Mike Van Ryan about a coaching job of course Steve Ott who's very young he might be an interesting one and then you got Jim Montgomery's name that pops up so I mean you could look at a drastic overhaul if you're Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube of finding out what your coaching staff is going to look like and that's where I think things have to start this offseason
1: yeah to be real i mean i think that is this is this the same coaching staff we're going to see come back next year i actually don't i actually don't think so i'm with you i think there's gonna i think there's gonna be some changes and you know and i think i think for the good i don't think for the bad i think because you're looking at a um it's hard to get a good grasp and say that your assistants didn't help you win games this year because again i think you have to keep going back to well let me look at your lineup listen alex i bring this up not to be um mean or hurtful on Jake Wallman because Jake had a great year, but we're sitting around in game four of the Colorado Avalanche series. And we were waiting to hear if Jake Wallman was going to be in the lineup. And when we found out he was, we were pumped. We were excited, right? Like, Oh yes, at least Hey, Jake Wallman's back. We're good. And I, and I kind of turned the curve after we went to break. I said, it's a little scary that we're this excited when Jake Wallman's in the lineup, that just goes to show you how beat up we were Mm -hmm. and and again jake did a great thing this year and he he had actually a terrific season so it's nothing against him but it kind of goes back to if you ever would have said that to me six months ago i would be like are you crazy there's no way we're getting excited about jake wall like we must be really what happened why are we why are we in this spot exactly and now now i bring that up for this reason because that's why you can't look too closely under the microscope about why this coaching staff failed you this year i i do not think that the wins and losses are getting bounced in the first round again really can kind of fall through necessarily only the coaching staff is there some responsibility there yeah of course and and they'd be the first ones to take responsibility for it but i don't think you're you're a problem where you're saying our coaches are the issue There, there was many issues this season but at the same time i'm looking at a little bit different of a coaching staff come the fall simply out of promotions for some of these guys that were our our young assistant coaches as we call them. You look at Steve Ott, you know, the way he played the game, I never ever would have imagined him being as good of a coach as he is. You know, he was just that that pesty Brad Marchand type of guy. Yeah. He just got under your skin. You didn't think there was a lot of knowledge there. Just kind of that just dumbness, I would call it. He is a super intelligent coach. He understands these players because he's so recent from the game. Um full, full of hockey, smarts, common sense that he brings to the table and he has great relationships with the players and the coaches, which is really where, which to me makes him a great candidate. I think he will get some interview opportunities for some of these open vacancy jobs across the national hockey league. Number one, look at Mike van Ryan, certainly capable of being a head coach as well, Alex, but look at his family situation. I mean, his family's all in Florida. Another another little crazy thing. You know, a lot of fans just don't fully understand or grasp. Maybe just didn't know. He spent the entire year away from his wife and his kids. You know, they're down there in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where he spends his off season. The kids go to school down there because of quarantine and COVID things. It just couldn't work out for his family to be there. So does he end up getting a job maybe with the Florida Panthers and Joel Quimble? There's a connection there. You could see him maybe become an assistant or something down there in Florida. So that's an opportunity for Mike as well. Um, I would like to see Jim Jim Montgomery on the bench come next fall. You know, and I think that in order for these, some of these assistant coaches to kind of, find other options, that would be a good thing to do too. But I think there's just so much knowledge in Jim Montgomery. I mean, you're looking at a coach. The last time he was a coach, he took a team um, to the second round, and he was one bounce away from going yeah. to the Western Conference Final that year when the Blues won it. So there's so much knowledge, so much experience, and to me, it would be something that I think that Doug Armstrong would like to find a way to get him behind the bench alongside Craig Berube well
0: that's going to be the first decision and then you got the restricted and unrestricted free agents Joe and I think this is going to be the biggest question mark going into this offseason is what does what does Doug and company decide to do with Jaden Schwartz Mike Hoffman, Tyler Bozak of course you got some of the restricted free agents that you're assuming are going to be back and Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and then guys that are kind of on the uh, on the cusp of if they're going to be back like a Zach Sanford but let's start with the unrestricted restricted guys for me Joe Mike Hoffman made a real case in my opinion to bring him back next season if the cost is right because you just don't have a power play difference maker but I also feel like Tyler Bozak made a case to return because one you want that veteran leadership and two I don't think you make the playoffs unless he's a part of that team in the final 20 games of the regular season
1: yeah I agree I agree with the Hoffman one you know because you don't have that Lethal scorer necessarily with Vladimir Teresinko the, the way he's been the last two seasons. They leaned heavy on Mike Hoffman's I don't think the Blues make the playoff without Mike Hoffman. Yeah, I remember he was one of the biggest trade baits for this Blues team Robert Thomas gets hurt I think two days before the deadline I think the Doug Armstrong really had a pivot and say we can't necessarily uh, get rid of Mike Hoffman at this point because we kind of need bodies what did he do right after the deadline He went on a tear like a power play goal scoring tear? Uh, he, he individually won games for this Blues team. They got him some valuable points to get in the playoffs. So is Mike Hoffman, Craig Berube's type of player? No. Is he going to run through the wall for you? No. Is he going to be the leader of hit the, the hit parade at the end of the night? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But he brings some great value to this team. And you know what? Uh, he may not play the way you want him to play all the time. But he does one thing, he does it well. He scores goals. He is productive year after year after year. He does one thing, and he puts up points. So to me, it's an intriguing one. It's going to come down to the dollar amount because uh, right there, I think there's a lot of the general managers in the league right now that saw what Mike Hoffman did, especially those last two months. And they're probably going to throw some heavy dough at him to get them on their team. So for Doug Armstrong, I think it's going to be a money game, but I think they definitely want to see Mike Hoffman come back. Tyler Bozak's going to be a little tricky because you had him making $5 million dollars on that last deal, he made five, three years at $5 million. Is he willing to take a pay cut, a pay shave? Um, you know, that's, that's really kind of up to Tyler Bozak. I think that Doug Armstrong is a huge believer in his leadership qualities. Uh, I see him around the room. I see him on the plane. He's just a a well-established and well-liked veteran that you just feel better when he's on the ice. You feel better when he's on the road trips. You feel better when he's in the locker room. He's kind of got that Carl Gunnarsson really calming presence where he's just going to step over the boards and do things the right way. He's not going to have a boatload of points, but he's going to kill penalties the right way. His face-offs continued to be great over the last couple seasons. So I think there's massive value in keeping Tyler Bozak back. So to me, those are two got maybe have – potentially have to return from an unrestricted standpoint uh, and the restricted ones you mentioned them thomas and Cairo, those are the ones you got to get done uh from there alex i kind of think it's it's an open it's an open field i, do I, I don't know where you go with Jaden schwartz i mean where you go with with players like um, you know sanford and vince dunn you know after what we saw this year is there a deal that doug armstrong's gonna try to put together with some of the younger talent these restricted guys to try to move them to get a top line winger. Maybe a bigger defenseman. We'll, we'll have to see Uh, the Jaden Schwartz one. I know it's, it's, it's hard because you're looking at a player that is just, he's been around forever and the points and the experience in the playoffs. And um, we've seen him kind of grow up here, you know, the ups and the downs, the wonderful goals he scored, but then also losing his sister and losing his father. You feel so emotionally attached to Jaden. And I think that's probably where Doug Armstrong is going to be torn the most, where you're looking at the productivity out of him over the last couple regular seasons and you're like is it is it was it there the way it used to be not really i mean even 2019 yes he was a hero in the playoffs but remember leading up to that playoffs he was not very good he was not very productive mm-hmm. so it, it's a struggle because you see him when he's at his best and then you've also seen him where his game kind of slides off a little bit and then just the emotional attachment I think that Jaden, because we've been with him personally as he's gone through so much stuff. So this is going to be the, probably the toughest one that Doug Armstrong has to kind of sort through moving forward. I know Jaden, I know one thing, Jaden loves it here. He loves the team here. He loves the group, the Bozaks and the Shens and even Steiner, who's still around a lot. He feels so, he feels like this is his family. Yeah. You know what I mean? So With that being said, I think Jaden's willing to take a pay cut to stay here, which is a positive for Blues fans.
0: And I guess that's the part for me that that I'm so torn up with on Joe, because look, I mean, yes, Schwartz has not been a goal scorer, which people have been hoping he'd be a top left winger for you. And frankly, he just really never lived up to that these last couple of seasons. But on the other side of this, I know there's a personal side of this. And I remember how tough of it was on the team when, when Doug traded away Paul Stasty, because he was so close with Alexander Steen and a couple of these other guys. And then, of course, they traded him away. It, does that have a negative effect in the locker room if you move on from Jaden Schwartz? Because, look, Braden Shen is super close with Jaden. Tyler Bozak, you just mentioned, and Alexander Steen. I mean, he's kind of like that go-to leader in the locker room. And if you move on from a guy like that, does that take a chemistry blow?
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think it does a little bit. And you know, I think when Paul moved on, I think that was a hard thing for a lot of these Blues, plan, fan, excuse me, blues players to grasp. And really kind of get their head around yeah but I think at the same time you look at Doug and did he know that Paul Stastny's move would disrupt his team a little bit absolutely and did he do it anyway absolutely yeah because you know as 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 good of a person as Doug is and as much as he understands the, the personal emotional side of some of these trades and deals at the end of the day his job is to win hockey games right mm-hmm and you can't, you can't solve all the world's problems and every, every individual player's problems, you know, and that, that's not necessarily your job. You can certainly be aware of it and cater towards it and he does a good job of that. But at the end of the day, you have to start winning games and you have to start getting at least through that first round with this window of team that we saw in 2019 as a potential four to five year window. And now we're two years in after the championship and we've gotten bounced two years in a row in that first round. So, Yes. He, yes. He appreciates that. Yes. He appreciates that Jaden's a part of this family and players will miss him. But at the same time, you're looking at a general manager that is trying to get his team beyond this first round and compete for a cup again with some very good hockey players on a very good hockey team. So at the end of the day, what decision will he make? He will always make a decision for this team. And I think unfortunately it will at least the options, will kind of come down to is that we either with or without Jaden Schwartz. And I think it's going to really come down to how much Jaden's willing to take a cut. Is he willing to take a demotion? Is he willing to do what Steen did in 2019 and be a third, fourth line guy and maybe accept two and a half million dollars a year for the next two to three years and just r- roll the dice and see how it goes. Because from a product- from a pro- productivity standpoint, you can't really justify paying him what he has been earning over the last few seasons, especially in a flat cap, uh, Alex, as you know, because every every owner is counting every penny, and every GM is counting every penny right now, and they're trying to stay as as competitive as possible right up against that cap. And I promise you one thing: this Blues ownership, they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna go right after that cap yep. without question. That's why they signed Mike Hoffman this year. You know, this is the year where ownership and teams were losing boatloads. I mean, millions, millions of dollars. They still go out there and they sign Mike Hoffman because they want to win. They want to be competitive. So the ownership group. Is going to be talking to Doug Armstrong, and they're going to say, Get up there and get right up to the cap. We want to win. We want to be competitive. And so it's really for Jaden, is really, you know, are you willing to accept this to stay here? because you can probably make some more going somewhere else.
0: So, and I guess that leads me to my final question this segment, Joe. Uh, do you? Uh, we talked yesterday on BK and Ferrario about names that I've come up with that could help in that top left wing, and you talked about how you do need some size back on the defensive end uh, for the Blues. Do you expect this to be a very active off season for Doug Armstrong in terms of free agency signing, possible trades, a lot of movement, a lot of turnover with this roster?
1: I do. I think this is going to be probably the most movement that we've seen in a little while now, Mm -hmm. because I just think that, I think that you have a great goaltender in Bennington. I think you have a terrific leader in Ryan O'Reilly, You have David Prahn, who's only got one more year until he becomes unrestricted free agent, which they will get him resigned. But you got some great players in their prime, but they're not going to be in their prime forever, Alex. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, David Prahn, those guys, I mean, to me, you're looking at maybe two to f- uh, three to four years mm-hmm. of a really good hockey player, and then they're going to start to drop off a little bit. And this is your captain. This is the guy you brought in. You signed him to a seven point five million dollar um, check right when you signed him there in July one a couple a couple summers ago. So, you know, with all that being said, I think you're looking at this core group of guys. Braden Shen's another name that really comes to mind. You know, they got about I'd say three to four terrific years of hockey left in them. And I think that if you don't make some major adjustments, I think that it's something that you, you, you'd you be a fool to do because mm-hmm. of you're, you're missing out on this window. One thing that is is very, it just really stands out about this year that wasn't the case in 2019, and I don't know how you fix it, and I don't know how they diagnose it and find it, but from a competitive standpoint, the blues team, they just didn't have that competitive edge this year Yeah, all year long. I mean, they just, they didn't have that same bite. Did a lot of that come through the fact that they haven't had a lot of breaks in the last two years? Probably did a lot of it has to do with, but well, you win the cup in 2019 and then this mess of COVID, nothing would ever come close to winning a championship and that parade down main street. I mean, that was terrific. So why even do it? Whatever. But the fact is we're looking at a team that, It just didn't have that competitive edge. And when you don't have that, I don't care how good you think you are in this league, you're never going to win. You know, you had it from some individuals. You had Ryan O'Reilly and David and Braden Shen hitting, moving their body, holding on the pucks, continuing to be productive throughout the entire season. Justin Falk is another player that Doug Armstrong mentioned as far as having great, a great season. He brought his competitive edge. And I think that that's something you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? You look at the Colorado avalanche. Look at the Carolina hurricanes. They they may not be made up of some terrific superstars, but boy, they compete. They're heavy on pucks and they're committed to a team game. So from an identity standpoint, from a culture standpoint, that's what Doug has to get back to. Now it's a lot easier said than done. Again, it's about finding those right individuals if they're even available and to go out there and get them for the price you need them to get them at. Uh, It's, 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 It's no cakewalk. I mean, it's going to be hard, but I think that from the core standpoint of the foundation of where this thing can get back on the right track, it's getting back to the roots of finding good, hard, young, fast, competitive players that are willing
0: to play a team game. Because once you have that, this team can go on another run. I love it. Joey V, Blues aren't the only one that might have some big decisions this offseason. I want to get into that and look at what the playoffs look like right now. We'll wrap things up on this edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey next year on 101 ESPN. Final time here on the Boardwalk Hardwood floors this week in hockey, along with Joe Vitali and Alex Ferrario. Final time this season, as we'll be back with you next year, of course, talking Blues hockey as they start up in mid-October. That's what the reports are right now. Joe, I kind of feel like I need to sing some Boys to Men End of the Road right now because we've come to the end of the road. Never mind. Ooh. Baby. Yeah, it's and like, keep it to yourself, it's, Alex. Yeah, keep I know. It it's, it's, it's that 90s R&B, man. It just gets you every once in a while. <laughs> you just love singing it out loud. Uh, anyway, Joe, let's talk about the, uh, the playoffs. And let's actually start with the teams that have been knocked out, because there are a couple that I am really surprised by, and that's the Washington Capitals and Pittsburgh Penguins. I, I mean, I really thought that both of those teams were poised to make some type of run for a cup this year. I mean, the the retooling of the Pittsburgh Penguins with what they did and then getting Jeff Carter at the trade deadline, which was a huge acquisition, by the way. And then on top of it, the Washington Capitals. They bring in a Zdeno Chara to bring in more leadership. Now, they were hit with massive injuries this season and COVID situations, but I mean, if you talk about two teams that are going to have some major overhauls this offseason, I think you're talking about Pittsburgh and Washington.
1: Yeah. Pittsburgh is as, as sad as it is for me to say this, because I've obviously uh, very close to that organization. I think they could be slipping away from this, slipping away from this thing. Yeah. You know, you look at the wonderful years, they've won three cups, but to me, Evgeny Malkin, just, he was not the player you needed him to be this year. He mm-hmm. missed a lot of time from injury. You know, he reminded me a lot of Vladimir Tarasenko in, in a weird way, Alex, when, when he came back, it kind of disrupted things it's a great and point. it's always, it's always challenging, right? It's always challenging. you bring bringing a star player and you got to put him obviously back in the top six, like they did with Vladdy, but then you got to move some other p- players down that were playing good and really kind of were found value in those top six minutes. So uh, it's a challenge for coaches, but I definitely saw that in Pittsburgh. You know, Chris Latang is starting to slow down. Sidney Crosby continues to kind of have some really good plateau, but good years. Um, Goal tending was an issue as Jari just could not withstand some bad goals in that playoff series. So that's going to kind of hurt him up a little bit. I, I think we could be seeing the beginning of the end in Pittsburgh. I, I don't know if Evgeny Malkin comes back to Pittsburgh next year. There's been, there's been rumors of him being traded over the last couple seasons, and I just have not seen enough out of him this year to really see that kind of trio of Latang, Malkin and Crosby continued anymore, which is really sad, but they had a great run. Uh, the one, the other team on the flip side that I think has plenty of good hockey left is the Washington capitals. And they yeah. were a massive surprise for me too, Alex. I mean, um, for, to, for that talent with backstrom and Ovechkin and Oshie, I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and they still have some wonderful years ahead of them. I kind of think it was more of a fluke incident that, um, that they just kind of were off their game a little bit, but not only that, but they ended up going up against a really good team playing very good hockey in the Boston Bruins. And then you look at playoffs, it's, it's just matchups, man. It's just matchups and who's playing great at the right time. And, and Boston really took it to them there in that series. So that to me was more of a product of them just kind of running into a really, really hot opponent, just like the blues did, for example. But I'd say one team that did not surprise me. I don't know if you agree with me or not on this, Alex, the Edmonton Oilers yep. getting bounced and getting swept by the Winnipeg Jets. How about that? Did you see that coming? I, I didn't.
0: I did see that coming. Now, I don't know if it I didn't know it was going to be that fast of a series, but I said it before that series started on one of our intermissions uh, during the broadcast. I said, look, people everywhere are favoring Edmonton going into this series. Like It felt like that was the second most overwhelming favorite in the playoffs by all of the writers was Edmonton beating Winnipeg. And I said, do not overlook the Winnipeg Jets, not with Paul Maurice, not with Connor Hellebuck, not with um, Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler. Like that team is too damn good to be considered out in the first round. And look, at the end of the day, Edmonton's problem is they built from the front back, and I just don't think you can do that. I don't think you can build from the front of two forward, two dynamic superstars in the NHL, but yet you don't have goaltending. Although yes, they've all have been one goal games in that series against Winnipeg but your goaltender didn't make that final stop and haven't we always said that if you want to win a cup you have to have a goaltender who makes the save when he needs to
1: yeah you know is mike smith the right guy in edmonton i don't know i I play with smitty He's he's a wonderful competitor terrific athlete um, he gets a little spazzy in those games. I mean, you saw some of those games kind of yeah. run away from there a little bit. I mean, Edmonton was ahead, I think, in Game Three, like three to one, and they end up losing that game in overtime. I mean, you can see how the goals can kind of pile on. So, from a goaltending standpoint, from a defenseman standpoint, I, I, I agree with you, Alex. I think they're built from the front up, and they just don't have enough invested into the back end. Um, listen, it's a team of like two and a half players. Yeah, I was that team, say. It, it, it's it's like the Connor McDavid saddle show. And as soon as you shut those those two down. Um, it, it's not that big of a surprise and and I know that some casual fans out there were how the heck did the Edmonton Oilers get swept? <laughs> I think I think that you should look at yourself and say yes you're a casual fan because if you understood this game understood this team like a lot of players do who get this game it's not that big of a shock I mean I think you could see this coming from a long time away I bet I bet Paul Stastny and the Blake Wheelers of that team were licking their chops when they got that Edmonton matchup because they knew if you shut two two guys down you pretty much have got it, got it made in the shade. Joe, one more.
0: And we got to talk about the one you teased at the opening of the set of the show tonight. And it's the uh, Toronto choke job. Now look, Toronto almost came back and won that game against Montreal uh, that went into overtime and Montreal was up three to nothing at one point. So it's not going to be easy, but like if you're a part of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you have to, in the back of your head, sit there and go, Oh man, is this going to turn out ugly for us again? Because up three, one, in the series, ready to eliminate the team. They win it 3-2 in overtime in a 2-on-0. Like, How do you get a 2-on-0 breakaway in overtime in the playoffs, but Toronto Maple Leafs fans, coaching staff, players, they got to be sitting there wondering, oh, is this going to go bad for us?
1: I love it because I love to see the Toronto fans just go <laughs> I off do too. the hook. I, I love it. Like they're, they're, they, to me, are the, the fan group that I love to hate because if they just are they're so obnoxious and they think that they should be champions every year and they have the city and they have the hall of fame and there's just that whole that whole bit about it right so i love to hate the toronto fans and i actually can't wait for the canadians to upset them in this series here and i, I would just absolutely love it for that reason i would hate it for one reason because i really am pulling For Joe Thornton, I agree to get a cup finally. You know what I mean. So that to me is my heart's kind of tugging at Joe Thornton, trying to move on and, and get past this. And and you know, I think it'd be exciting, but at the same time, I think that Toronto fans are waking up this morning and. Are they a little nervous? I think they're a little bit more nervous than they were yesterday for sure. And you almost wonder, some of those overtime battles that, that we saw last night, those sometimes can really propel your group. And Montreal Canadians come out on the, the top end of it, as you mentioned, Alex. And that sometimes can give you some confidence. Another thing that Toronto has been missing since game one is their captain, yeah. Jonathan Tavares, who's been their ace and their core guy all year long. He's a terrific leader. He's a very calming presence. He gets points. He does everything a team, a championship team needs and of course, because of his concussion, he's out now. He was skating, I think yesterday and the day before. So, you know, if this thing comes down to game seven, if the Montreal Canadians beat the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow and it goes to game seven and, and Jonathan Tavares is ready, I think you just got to unload. You got to let him get back in there. But I do not expect him in for game six. Hopefully they'll take care of business without him. But uh, that's another big piece that Toronto just has been missing, which they do not like to look like the same team. They were in the regular season mm-hmm. and a big reason why is number
0: 91. Yikes! I can't wait to watch the rest of these playoffs. It's going to be entertaining, and um, I know a lot of Blues fans stay away from the playoffs once the Blues are eliminated. But they're looking forward to an upcoming crazy off season. Joey V, man, not only has tonight been fun, but this entire last couple of seasons have been incredible, man. Thank you so much for the hard work of always jumping on and doing these shows with us on a busy week. And enjoy the off season. Enjoy the time with the family. I believe by next year you're going to be a father of five. Is that
1: correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah we're going to be a family of seven, five children by next time we speak. So um, I may be looking to, for some help from you, maybe just a place to sleep. I think we're running out of bedrooms.
0: I tell you what, I, I got a basement for you guys just in case. And, and of course, then you can help me with some fathering along the way. But Joe, man, again, thank you so much for incredible work these last couple of seasons, man. Enjoy the off season with the family. And we look forward to talking to you uh, throughout the off season. But of course, come October for more This Week in Hockey.
1: Thanks, Alex. Hey, I really appreciate it. Appreciate all your work as well. I know it wasn't easy this year having a baby in a pandemic. You had to do so much remotely as we all did. Uh, But thank you for your professionalism, your preparation. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to a break and can't wait for next year. Can't
0: wait for next year. He's Joe Vitali. I'm Alex Ferrario. As always, thank you to our friends at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. For everyone involved, thanks for being a part of this week in hockey for these last couple of seasons. Enjoy the offseason, and we will talk to you come October for more Blues Hockey here on 101 ESPN.